Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to live and die and make a way for every sin and all sins to be forgiven. Lord, we know in a room this size and with a number of people watching, there are those that most likely have encouraged abortions, participated in abortions, um, and today is a hard day, and we, we pray that the hope of Jesus would ring loud, clear the forgiveness of sins would be real, tangible, your Holy Spirit's presence would be powerful, and Lord, we pray that you would move and work in, in our county, in our region, and we thank you for these young parents and older parents, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified and honored, and uh, we thank you for all the different men and women that are just committed to honoring life in all its forms. And we just praise you and ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We are continuing through the book of Hebrews. We are on Hebrews chapter 3. So we've been going at a pretty good clip. We're going to, Lord willing, make it through the chapter today. And to, to start us out, I want to get our minds kind of going sort of the direction of the passage. Raise your hand nice and high if you have ever read in your life, um, let me get the name right, Canadian Running Magazine. Nice and high so I can see you. Exactly what I thought. Not too many readers of Canadian Running Magazine. If you are a reader, I didn't become a reader till recently. Um, I've read Runner's, Runner's World quite a bit. In 2018, there was an article on the Boston Marathon of 2018, and the, the heading read like this, 23 elite runners drop out of Boston Marathon. The subtitle says, extreme cold, strong headwinds, and torrential rain led 23 elite marathoners to bail out on the race, to give up, to quit. And I, I bet there's maybe a few more of you that care about long distance running than read Boston or uh, read Marathon or Running Canada or whatever it's called. But, but it's not, not a ton. Um, Canadian running, I'll get that right. Canadian running. But if you're in my family, you have watched this video of this woman named Des Linden who won the Boston Marathon in 2018 uh, a number of times. I've, I've watched it a number of times because I, I'm one of those weird people that like watching a marathon unfold. Um, what was particularly interesting about this one is the weather conditions were, were horrific. It was cold, it was windy, it was raining. And these elite marathoners who all they do is eat properly and train intensely to, to excel at one particular sporting event, these really elite runners, all, well not all, 23 of them, 
didn't even finish. In, in the running world, that is called a DNF. You do not want to have a DNF by your name in a race. It means you did not finish. Well, one woman, one American woman named Des Linden, who's a professional runner, during the race, kind of near the beginning of the race, she felt so bad that she um, later had said that she didn't think she was going to continue in the race. She was going to give up in the race. And at, at one point, she felt so bad that she actually waited for another American runner who needed some help in the race. Well, as the race went on, by attrition, she began to move closer and closer to the front of the race, eventually becoming the first American to win the Boston Marathon since 1985. And basically, the race, it wasn't a particularly fast race. It was a race of perseverance. Basically, the person who persevered the most ended up winning the race. And the reason I'm starting with this story today is because the book of Hebrews really is a letter, a book, to encourage perseverance among God's people, to, to, to help us to endure adversity and continue to run this race of faith. See, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've, by this point, been confused at times, disillusioned, maybe questioned your faith, Maybe you had questions like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Will in, in the, the history of Christians by my name, will there be a DNF, did not finish, failed, didn't make it? Maybe you're like Des Linden, that you're, you're at that point right now, like, I don't think I can do this any longer. This, this, this relationship with Jesus, this being with the people of God that are as messy as we are. And you get weary. So the title today is Battling Unbelief in the Midst of Adversity. Battling Doubt, Fears in the Midst of Adversity and Difficulty. So if you're there, the Lord wants to encourage you. If you're not there, chances are if you live long enough, there will be moments in your Christian life when you are there. And we're going to see two very simple points from this passage. The two points are this. We must hold fast to Jesus, and we must guard our hearts. If we want to persevere, if we want to make it when things get difficult, we must hold fast to Jesus. We must Guard our hearts. And behind all of this is the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us and empower us to do these two things. To hold fast and to guard our hearts. And we're going to see at times when we lose our grip, Jesus has us. He's holding on tight. He's not letting go. So point number one, we must hold fast to Jesus. Look in your Bibles at Hebrews 3. Verse 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. 
as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and are boasting in our hope. Jesus is our hope. In these kind of first six verses, there is this solid foundation for us. And as we've seen elsewhere in the book of Hebrews, the author likes to compare Jesus to different things. In chapter one, he was showing how Jesus is superior to the angels. That yes, angels are these incredible beings, but Jesus is the uncreated maker of all things. Here in chapter 6, we're going to see that though Moses was the, this choice servant of God who, who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, Jesus is far superior and far greater. So we're to hold fast to Jesus, this one who is superior, this one who is fully God and fully man. He is the best that mankind could be, and he is the clearest representation of what God is like. And we hold fast to Jesus, verse 1 tells us, by considering who he is. Look at verse 1 again. We're going to hold fast to him by thinking about who he is, by considering. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. One of the ways to persevere when life gets difficult is to look outside of ourselves, to look outside of our circumstances, to look upward and outward and consider Jesus and all his amazing facets. This word here, consider, it was used originally to, to um, describe those who were gazing up into the, the night sky and were considering all the different stars and constellations. So this wasn't a look up and a glance. This was a, a study that went on for a considerable period of time where you looked with great detail and you could imagine your your your, your your mind and your, your eyes and your gaze are just spanning the sky, the night sky, as you're, you're taking in what you see. Well, that's the idea that we're to do with Jesus. See, there's enough in this first verse to sustain us as Christians for a lifetime. But we, we can read it too fast at times. So let me give you some examples of, of things to consider this upcoming week. The first thing that jumps out is this phrase, therefore, holy brothers, or holy brothers and sisters. Therefore, those of you who have turned to Jesus and have been set apart, you have been made holy. Once you weren't God's people, now you're God's people. You have been declared holy and set apart, not because of who you are and what you've done, but because what Jesus has done for you. You can spend a lifetime Marveling that once you were dead in your sins, a slave to your sins, blind to God in every way, and now, because of what Jesus has done, you have been declared holy. 
Consider that. Think about that. You who share in a heavenly calling. A heavenly calling called by a heavenly Father. If you are in Jesus, you have been called by name by the maker of heaven and earth. You've been called by him. Consider that. Think about that. Out of all the millions of people, you get to share in this heavenly calling. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Often we don't think about Jesus in the terms of an apostle. We think of the 12 apostles. But the word literally means the sent one, the one that God chose and sent to show people what God the Father is truly like. Merciful, compassionate, mighty. Consider Jesus the apostle of our confession. And then consider this. Those of you who maybe like me have done very wrong things at at different parts of your life that you have really sinned. You have really messed up. And now you've turned to Jesus. Consider Him your high priest. You may think, well, how does that help? Well, the high priest in the Old Testament, they went before God to represent the people and they took sacrifices. Well, Jesus is the perfect high priest. See, in the Old Testament, they had to keep on going and bringing more sacrifices. And the high priest themselves had to sacrifice for their own sins. Not with Jesus. Jesus is perfect. Fully God, fully man. So when he bled and died on the cross and absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf, God's fury and hatred for sin was poured out on Jesus. The wrath was absorbed by Jesus. The debt was paid in full by Jesus. So that means if you have trusted in Jesus, all of your many sins have been washed away, forgiven and cleansed. Consider that. Think about it. Gaze into those realities. This sermon is like a marathon. We're we're off to a slow start. So we will pick it up a bit. Look at verses two through six. So we're considering Jesus, the apostle, the high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses, he was faithful in God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ, the Messiah, the promised deliverer, is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So we have this comparison. We have Moses. He was a faithful servant of God. Moses led God's people out of slavery from Pharaoh, out of Egypt. 
Moses went to Mount Sinai and received God's law, the Ten Commandments. And Moses led God's grumbling people for years and years in the wilderness. Jesus rescues us when we turn from our sins and trust in him. He rescues us from our spiritual bondage and slavery in our spiritual Egypt. And he sets us free once for all. By the time this author was writing Hebrews, the name Moses, the person Moses, and the law of the Old Testament were, were synonymous. To say one was to say the other. So if you said, according to Moses, you could, you could equate that with according to the law of the Old Testament. See, Jesus actually did this on the road to Emmaus when he was talking to the people at, about himself. And he says this in Luke 24, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. So Moses eventually to the Jewish people became shorthand for the law. Moses was a highly commended faithful servant. But he was a servant. Jesus was the son Moses was the servant of God's house, God's people. Jesus is the son. He is the, the, the one who, who purchases God's people. He is the, the head of the house. He's the cornerstone of the house. So he is superior in every way. And as it says here in Hebrews, when we trust in Jesus, we become part of the house. We are part of God's people. We literally are, in the New Testament, the temple of God. So we are the ones who, who have the Holy Spirit in us. The New Testament refers to us as living stones. Consider these two verses. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God's people are these living stones. You and I are these living stones. So we go from being objects of God's wrath, haters of God, mockers of God, to being the very building blocks for God's house. That is an incredible reality. Think about this. Jesus, he's the one who was sent to show us what the Father is like. To totally, completely set us free to do what the law could not do, to do what Moses could not do. Moses wanted God's people to obey and to follow. And the problem wasn't with the law. The problem was with our hearts. See, we needed new hearts. We needed to be changed from the inside out. The law couldn't do that. Only God's Holy Spirit can do that. And that's why Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was so significant, ushering in this new covenant. With that new covenant becomes 
comes a new heart that God the Holy Spirit places in us. Our heart of stone gets soft. And we respond. And not only do we respond to God's word, but we have power to change and to grow and to be different. A power that was not there in the law. So in many ways, Jesus is superior to Moses and the law. Moses was faithful to his calling. Jesus is far superior. Look at Hebrews 3.6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. Now, if you've been in this church or any church in the world for more than a moment, more than a minute, you might be thinking, boy, these houses are messy. (laughs) These are messy houses. Well, they are messy houses because we're messy people and we're part of the house. And somehow in the amazing grace of God, he is slowly changing us, forgiving us, cleaning us up making us different, and so we want to just keep pursuing him. But we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. One of the things that we'll see in Hebrews, throughout Hebrews, is there are some stern warnings. Uh, There's a warning here in chapter 3. There's a very stern warning in chapter 6. We're going to see these warnings kind of throughout. And they can be confusing to understand. But I think the best way to understand this phrase, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope, the best way to understand that isn't this is some kind of works-based salvation that you just got to keep working and then hopefully you'll you'll make it to the end. No, I think it's it's better understood that, that Jesus rescues us from our slavery of sin, spirit, the Holy Spirit comes in us. Our our spiritual life begins to, to grow. And what he's saying here is an evidence of genuine salvation is you will make it to the end. You will get there. If you are genuinely saved, you will make it to the end. See, remember, he's writing to Christians that are under the, the cloud of persecution. They're they're losing their grip on should we really trust fully in Jesus of Nazareth or should we do something else? And and he's exhorting, no, keep going, keep persevering. See, remember Des Linden, she's in this Boston Marathon. It is cold, it is rainy, it is miserable. If you'd see the faces of the people in these videos, they're not having a good time. They're, They're just not. And in our lives, it can be like that. You know, maybe, maybe you don't want to say it, but you think, I am, this is not fun right now. This is not easy right now. This is not enjoyable. I'm not having a good time right now as a Christian, you might say. But if God's Spirit is in you, you're going to persevere to the end. If you watch the video of this race at the end, you see her cross the finish line in this great celebration and her coach is crying and I think her husband is crying and I think she's crying and, and, and she made it. 
But throughout the marathon, she doubted. She questioned. She wondered, not would she win, but would I, would I even cross? If you have genuinely trusted in Jesus, you are going to make it. You are going, going to cross that line. That may happen in the year 2022. That may not happen for 50, 60, 70, 80 years from now. But Jesus will keep you. Consider this verse from the book of John. This is Jesus speaking. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. Something that we can't earn eternal life. We can't work up eternal life. He gives it to us. And they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. If you are weary right now, consider Jesus, your great shepherd, the one that no one can snatch you out of his hand. He has a strong grip. We're to hold fast, but sometimes, if we're honest, we lose our grip. We lose our footing. We lose our gaze toward the Lord. Keep going back to him he will keep you second point we must guard our hearts we must guard our hearts so if verses one through six were, were pretty dense with these great theological truths the the second part of the chapter has much more to do with how should this affect us? How should we apply this? How should this be affecting our hearts? And if you're not familiar with that term, and, and according to both the Old and the New Testament, the heart was kind of shorthand for the kind of the central operating system of a human. The heart is our mind, our will, our emotions. This is much stronger than do you mentally assent to a, a group of facts? No, this is at your core of your being. Are you believing and trusting in Jesus? And what he's going to do here is he's going to um, use the, the Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and Psalm 95 to kind of probe around at some heart-related issues. And he's going to use the Israelites as a negative example. It's like, don't do this. So if you're a parent and, you know, sometimes we, we want to encourage our kids to do stuff. Sometimes we encourage them by, hey, do you remember that kid from that school who did that thing? Remember him? Don't be like him. Do not do that. And we all know a name of somebody that somebody probably has shared with us. Maybe we were the name. I, I'm sure in my own town I probably was the name. Do not be like Joey Ryer. So that's what he's doing, by negative example. And let's just look at verse 7 and 8. He said, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. If you're at all familiar with the Old Testament, God rescues his people, led by Moses, from slavery in Egypt. And it was miraculous. There were 10 miraculous plagues that God used to get Pharaoh's attention. 
the Red Sea itself was split in two, and God's people went through the, the, the Red Sea on dry ground somehow. And as they turn back and Pharaoh's army is charging at them, the sea swallows up the army, miraculously t- wipes out the enemy, and then he miraculously leads his people through the wilderness, provides miraculously for his people. But there were many of his people that doubted and rebelled. And one of the things we're going to see is their rebellion at root was rooted in their unbelief. They did not believe that God was who he said he was. They did not believe that God could truly help them even though they saw his deliverance with their very own eyes. They rebelled. And he, he's exhorting them, this author, this pastor is saying, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Keep your hearts soft before the Lord. See, God had taken care of these miraculous, impossible needs that the Israelites had. If the Red Sea did not part, they would have either been killed or captured and brought back into slavery. If God did not provide for them in the wilderness, they would have starved to death. If God did not just protect them and sustain them day after day, they would have been lost forever. But over time, their hearts got hard. Our hearts can get hard. And we can, we can think things like they thought. We, we read in the book of Numbers and, and other places, they, they begin to, some of them begin to think, oh man, that wasn't so bad being a slave in Egypt. You know, kind of knew what we were going to do each day. We are going to make bricks. We are going to get whipped occasionally. But they gave us water. That was nice. And, and they begin to dream about how Egypt was way better than it really was. They, they begin to reinterpret the past. And they begin to long for this miserable life that they had. See, their hearts got hard. And they began to look back rather than look up towards the Lord. We can be prone to do the, the same thing. See, there are a number of things that can make us tempted and hardened. One is we can be hardened by the world around us. We can just see things on social media or in the news or, or just around that it just seems so hard and dark and difficult. We can be confused by human nature. I've heard people say like, wow, I can't believe how Society is just turning in the year 2022. And I understand what people mean by that, but, but I often honestly have this thought of, what are you talking about? <laughs> it, it's always been that way since Adam and Eve sinned. I mean, think about this verse in Genesis. Genesis 6-5, before a mass flood happens, given by God, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's right. That is right, Pat. That is right. We are fallen creatures. 
And that fallenness will express itself in a whole bunch of different ways. And, and certainly in our day and age, there, there are expressions of that. But read the Bible. There are all kinds of gross expressions of human nature. Read history, world history. See, we, we make the mistake and think that we're, humans are just better than they are. Yes, we are created in the image of God. But apart from Christ intervening, we are just like God said the humans he looked at were like in Genesis 6-5. The Lord saw the weakness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. Rather than gazing on the corruption of mankind, gaze on the love and grace and goodness of God in sending a remedy for humanity that's all messed up. See, Jesus is the absolute remedy. And you might be thinking, well, maybe that was like before the flood and then after the flood, people got a little bit better. Read, I don't have this one quoted, but on your own, read Matthew 15, 18. But listen to what Jesus said in John 2. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He wouldn't entrust himself to people because he knew what was in them. See, in his divinity, he knew. He knew our darkest thoughts. He knew what, what the room was thinking about each other and about themselves. It can be wearying. So we want to spend way more time looking to Jesus, the remedy, the answer, the one who can take broken, fallen, hardened people and make them soft and pliable, make them actually into his character and image on this earth. We can be hardened by the temptation to sin. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not even thinking about the world out there. I'm just thinking about all this internal tug and pull of my own hearts and desires, and that can be weary. Go to Jesus over and over again. He will keep your heart soft. We can harden, be hardened by the sadness and sorrow of our lives. We can think that, man, I, I did not think I would be in this spot. I didn't think it would turn out this way. And that's real. We all, if you live long enough, you will, you will have that. Use that as a reminder. We're not made for this world ultimately. We're sojourners. We're traveling through. We're to, to keep our eyes fixed on the God who saved us, and our final destination, which is to be with Him. We can be hardened and disillusioned by God's people. We can be so spun around by the messiness of church life that, that our hearts get hard. I've experienced that. But what keeps bringing me back is Jesus is the perfect head of the church he is tender and compassionate he does not treat me as my sins deserve we're not to treat others as their sins deserve and we are just this like all our biological families this messy dysfunctional beautiful thing and and it's god's number one plan and so by the grace of god we're going to stay committed to god's plan to god's household but we can be hardened by that 
We can be hardened just by staying away from the Lord. We try as pastors to come up with creative ways to say, read your Bible and pray. You know, we'll, we'll do it in all kinds of different ways. Um, but basically, we, we encourage you, not because it's a work that you somehow earn God's favor. No, you have God's favor in Jesus. We want you to encounter the Lord. To know his love and care. And the more you spend time with him, the softer and more pliable your hearts will be. You will be warmed and encouraged. So whatever difficulty that you see, whichever angle you look at, there will be faith. There, behind that difficulty, you'll see Jesus. And you'll know you can trust him. And you can follow him. Put your hope in him. We must guard our hearts from growing hard. This is why he said in verse 8, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my work for 40 years. If you feel like your heart is hard, like the, the, if you're a gardener and there's just the, the ground has not been plowed for a long time and it's underneath it you know there's something good but on the surface it is just rock hard. Lord, would you tenderize my heart this morning? We must guard our hearts from going astray. Verse 10 says, Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. The original generation was not allowed to go into the promised land because of the rebellion. If you feel like you're going astray, here's the beauty of Jesus. You can keep coming back. There is grace to come back, to return. Proverbs says the righteous man falls seven times and gets back up. Keep turning back to Jesus. He will clean you up and make you whole. We must guard our hearts against unbelief. Verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as, as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. God has not changed. You can trust Him. See, unbelief is where we, we deny that God is who he says he is. And often we do that because of our own experience. One of the things that I'm always amazed by is the account of Joseph in the book of Genesis. He's left for dead by his brothers. They, they sell him as a slave. He, he gets imprisoned. He's wrongly accused of a crime he did not commit. He continues to trust in the faithfulness of the Lord. He continues to, to keep his gaze in the Lord. If ever there was a, a, a case where you could understand why someone would just turn away from the Lord, he had been deserted by his blood, by his family. He had been falsely accused of a crime. He helped some people in prison and they forgot all about him. And yet he continues to trust in the Lord. He could even see the Lord's hand in the great evil that he experienced and the wrong done to him that God in fact used all that evil 
to preserve not only his family, but to preserve the very promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12 that that Abraham's seed is going to be more numerous than the stars of the sky or the, the grains of sand on the seashore. See, we just do not know what the Lord is doing. But we know we can trust Him. You can trust Him. His Word is true. Jesus, His Son, demonstrated His trustworthiness. He resisted sin and temptation in every way. He was rejected. He was left by His friends, His closest companions. Even His family members thought He had lost His mind. And He did all of that to demonstrate that I've come to rescue you. I love you no matter what you do to me. And he paid the ultimate price on the cross and he rose from the grave demonstrating that he conquered the power of sin and the power of death. Guard your hearts against unbelief. Guard your hearts. See, here's the thing. Two people can look at the exact same thing and see two very different things. One person filled with faith in the living God will respond one way. The other person will respond another. Let me give you another Old Testament example. In the book of Numbers, spies are sent into the land for Israelites to check out the promised land. Listen to what the unbelieving, doubting spies saw when they went to the one day to be promised land. We came to the land to which you sent us, it does flow with milk and honey. It's really there. And, and it has this great fruit, these huge grapes. However, unfortunately, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there, these giants. They had good, it looked good, but we can't go. We're going to get slaughtered. That's what unbelief sees. Listen to what belief sees. This is, Joshua and Caleb both give a similar report. Ten spies went. They're two of the ten. They look at the exact same thing. And this is what they say. The land which we pass through to spy out, oh, it is exceedingly good land. And if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. For they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. You don't have to fear them. They saw right past the giants to the living God who is mighty and powerful. Guard your heart against unbelief. And you can read the the last section on your own. But the point is we must guard our hearts by remaining confident in Christ. Read the the last six verses of Hebrews and you'll see how we can guard our hearts remaining confident in Christ. If you could all stand, we're going to pray and have the band come up. You are going to make it as a Christian. Not because of your own strength, not because of your own ability, but because of Jesus who loves you dearly. Verse 1 started with, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, 
Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Let's pray and then we're going to sing a final song. Holy Spirit, would you minister to your people as we sing this final song? Lord, those who feel lost and out to sea, would you bring them back? Those who are weary, would you strengthen them? Those who are strong, would you make them even stronger? And may we all consider you and your greatness and your power as we sing these final words. And may faith rise in this room as we look to you. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.